This morning's uh, Bible reading is taken from uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, reading from verses 1 to 10. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 to 10. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd comes, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of suffering. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Abby. Well read. Well, good morning, church. So good to be here on this Father's Day morning, and uh, we're going to be uh, spending a little bit of time in the Word here together uh, on that passage and a few other passages in the Bible. Uh, but uh, yeah, let me, let me start with a quick uh, history lesson or question for you. Which great leader gave this very famous speech? I have myself full confidence that we shall prove ourselves once again able to defend our island home, to ride out the storm of war and to outlive the menace of tyranny. Got some, got some winners here. If necessary for years, if necessary, alone. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall fight in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. So shout again, who was that? Churchill. Well done. This is a very well-educated uh, guru here. Well done. Uh, one of the great wartime leaders, wasn't he? Uh, Winston Churchill uh, led, uh, led uh, England uh, towards the end of World War II as he uh, faced the, the potential of being invaded by Germany. Now, great leaders, we uphold great leaders, don't we? And there is something that's right and good. We want to see leaders who are strong, independent, principled, sacrificial, 
the leader who can deliver a rousing speech, or maybe if you're kind of down the fictional end, who uses their superpowers for the sake of good. They can inspire others and help others to follow them in the direction where they need to go. And when that happens, when we see a good leader doing a great job like that, we rightly honour them. Now, that's the ideal leader, isn't it? The ideal leader. But often, if you think about leaders and leadership today, I reckon we're kind of just, we feel a little bit more cynical, don't we? We kind of can't really see the Churchills of today. And, uh, and the truth is, I think we have become more cynical and for some, in lots of ways, for good reason. We see the way that politicians play loosely with the truth, and thanks to social media, we get to see the, all the flaws and the problems with our sports stars and our celebrities and the people that we tend to uphold as those leader-like people. See, the truth is, every leader takes on responsibility. And every leader faces trials and temptations. In fact, uh, that's one of the best things that I, I really appreciate about the Star Wars universe. See, in the Star Wars universe, the lure of the dark side is ever-present. The more powerful a Jedi becomes, the more tempting the dark side becomes. And one of the great things about Star Wars is that, well, the great leaders are only just a few steps away from becoming a great enemy. Now, this morning, we're going to be continuing on our series, The Dearest Place on Earth, and all the things that uh, we've been learning about the church. Now, this morning, our topic is the shepherded church, the shepherded church. What does it mean that God actually appoints people, shepherds, to lead the church, to lead and protect it? And it's about what to do, what is it that leaders do? What are they supposed to do? What are the temptations and the, the, the potential problems of leadership? And what's our role as the church in it? So if you're kind of a note taker, this is where we're going. Uh, three main points this is the space that we're going to be covering this morning. Now, in the Bible, the metaphor that's most commonly used for leadership is the idea of a shepherd. The idea of a shepherd. Now, uh, shepherding, uh, you know, everyone back when, in the time that the Bible was written, you talked about shepherds and shepherding. Everyone instantly knew exactly what you were talking about. But, of course, 2,000 years in a different place, a uh, different time, uh, shepherding uh, is not such a common occupation today. Uh, is anyone a sheep farmer, a shepherd, a son or daughter of a shepherd? No, didn't think so. Okay, now, what, what do we know? What do we think of shepherds? You might think of a shepherd as, you know, it's that person who kind of stands on a nice big green pasture, the kind of sort that you might see in England or somewhere, and he's just kind of standing there, chilling out, just kind of keeping a close eye on things. Well, that's actually not anything like the kind of shepherding that would have been spoken about in the Bible. You see, shepherding back in the Bible's time, it was a very high calling. And sheep were a very valuable part of the community for their wool, for their meat, for their, <clears throat> uh, for their skin. Now... We kind of don't think of that because there's, apparently there are 68 million sheep in Australia and uh, mostly we think of sheep as being uh, pretty dumb and we think, of, uh, uh, we think of the pastures as being, you know, like when you mow your lawn in Brisbane on a Sunday and like it's ready to mow again on the next Tuesday, kind of two days later. That's nothing like the, the world of the shepherds uh, of, of, the, of biblical times. It was a barren landscape. 
a barren landscape where the livelihood of the flock depended on the shepherd, where water sources were sparse, where actually leading the sheep around and often involved going through dangerous routes, places where the sheep wouldn't naturally go apart from the shepherd leading them there. The sheep don't take care of themselves. Sheep can't see the greener pastures that are over that hill over there or the clear water source where they need to get to over there. The famous psalm, Psalm 23, personified God himself as a shepherd. And you can kind of pick up some of the themes and the ideas of what they thought of as a shepherd and the way that that transferred and the way that they actually used as an illustration for God himself. Here it is, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He lies me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, it's very famous, isn't it? Isn't it just such a heartwarming kind of passage about, about shepherds, shepherding God as the chief shepherd, his concern for the sheep, the way that he feeds and he nourishes the sheep, the way that people are thought of as God, as being a good God, was a picture of a good shepherd. And this is the kind of background that continues all the way through the Bible. And the Bible's got many examples of good and bad shepherds. And as we come to the New Testament, the way then that, that they talk about what it means to be a leader within the church is also as a shepherd. See, 1 Peter chapter 5, which uh, Abby just read out for us, says this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory that is to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Now, did you see how leadership there in the church, the leadership of the church is compared to shepherding? Now, in the New Testament, that terminology there, um, elder, uh, you might see it also as overseer or pastor, um, all of these are probably really all referring to the same office, right? The same office. In fact, pastor literally just means shepherd. Pastor literally means shepherd. Paul, the great, uh, Peter, the great apostle, calls himself just a fellow elder, and the job they are to do is to shepherd the flock. Shepherd the flock under the great shepherd, Jesus himself. Now, let me just quickly run through them as we kind of try to unpack what it means to, to be a shepherd, because all of that whole shepherding stuff we talked about before, it sort of lies in the background to, to the commands that Peter talks about and the way that the church is or should be led. Now, the first step there, we saw that first part, right? that the role of the shepherd is about knowing and uh, knowing the flock. Uh, click as a little, little dodge here. Um, here it goes. So, most basic responsibility, I think, is for a shepherd to know his sheep. There's the shepherd's responsibility is to those that God has placed under his care, and there is a relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. The shepherd is involved in the lives of the sheep. You know, Jesus himself said... I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. 
In other words, it's actually not enough for us just to kind of uh, be shepherded maybe by our favorite podcast preacher. He has no kind of direct relationship with me, who maybe lives and preaches at a church in a very distant place um, apart from me. No, there actually has to be some kind of relationship, a relationship uh, where your pastor is present, where you, you you get to know my life and I get to know yours. See, God has, he says that God's actually placed his shepherds in the church and amongst you so that we might learn from them. Now, that doesn't mean that every single person here is going to have a direct and personal relationship with uh, myself or Iggy or Ben, that actually, uh, you know, I've seen some stats that say that a full-time pastor can probably realistically only stay connected to about 80 people, right, about 80 people. So you can do the math, you know, we're probably a church of about 300 to 350 people, you know, of those who are kind of reasonably regularly part of our church, but... That means that actually here at, at CPE that sometimes we actually have some roles to be ranchers, right? That is ranchers, that is uh, people who also have shepherds working under us. See, that's actually a lot of you. We have actually stacks of people involved in leading in Sunday school and in our youth ministry and uh, our YF ministry and our life groups. We've got people who lead our teams here at CPE. See, all of you actually have some little kind of maybe delegated role of shepherding a mini flock. Now, that's not unbiblical, actually. You see that all the way through the Bible, as uh, we saw in Acts last year, as the church grew, as the church uh, exploded, as thousands became a part of our church, what did the 11 apostles do? Well, they started delegating out tasks and responsibilities to others because to fulfill all the functions of what's needed for the flock... Well, that couldn't be done just by the 11 of them. And you see someone like Timothy in the New Testament actually oversees and has this role to appoint elders and pastors to a number of churches. And so his ministry was actually predominantly to them. And so actually one of the answers is that just as Jesus has shepherds and appoints shepherds under him, so maybe those shepherds actually appoint others to other uh, roles and responsibilities. Now, there are limits before how big a flock can get, before that connection between pastor and flock becomes too wide. Well, you know what? If we keep growing as a church here at CPE, that might be a conversation that we need to have. But what else is a shepherd to do? Number two, lead the flock. Lead the flock. That is a guide and command and direct the flock. Lead them in the mission. Lead them in the ways of God. See, we might use phrases today in our modern vocabulary, words like setting direction, casting vision, galvanizing the church behind the mission of God. Shepherds keep us focused on the gospel, guides the flock into the ways of Jesus, leading us into deep fellowship with Christ. Now, that doesn't just happen as uh, we stand here and tell you and speak to you and, and preach, but it actually happens, as Peter says, by example, by example, by living it out, by embodying the very things that we think the Bible has to say about what it means to follow Jesus. See, I was uh, visiting a workplace uh, recently where uh, there was this great big poster on the wall uh, and it had, 
had all the kind of mission statement and the values of that particular uh, organization there on the wall. And it was, it was a beautiful document, actually. It was really well written and formulated, and it was quite lofty in terms of, you know, uh, about the way that we serve customers and we treat them well and, we, uh, and, and all this sort of thing. Anyway, I got in conversation with someone who worked there and just said, yeah, oh, this, this, that, that poster looks amazing, doesn't it? You know what they said? They said, oh, yeah, that's just something that corporate did and told us to do one time. That's what they said. See, you can tell people what to do, but the culture, the culture is really set maybe more so by the example of those living it out. And you could just see that in the eyes of the person that, you know, corporate or the HR department or whoever they were in some uh, offices of, out there somewhere decided on, on all these things and kind of said, hey, this is the kind of place we want to be. We're going to show you. We're going to slap it up on a poster on the wall. And they weren't really around kind of uh, putting it into action. But that's not what it's called for God's leaders, God's shepherds, uh, to lead by example in the way they walk with God, in their godliness, in their prayer lives. You know, I'm constantly asking myself this question, am I leading out of example, out of that humble and repentant heart, am I walking with Christ? Or am I maybe leading out of a false self, kind of projecting something that is not even true of me, saying this is what we should be without living it out myself? And I've been really challenged in the ways in which, you know, myself and my own kind of living out of my self-reliance instead of prayerful dependence has been a big thing for me lately. Thirdly, what are the shepherds to do? To feed the flock. Feed the flock. So the third function of shepherding is to feed the flock. Shepherds uh, rely, uh, sheep rely on their shepherds to feed them to healthy food and sustenance for their bodies. And so God's people depend on their shepherds for their food for their souls. They depend on the shepherd to provide that nourishment. And so our preaching and our teaching at every level here at CPE, kids, youth, from the pulpit, aim to glorify God. We want to be centered on Christ. We want to be spirit-empowered in our Bible teaching and, 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 and for the cause of wanting to see the lost one for Jesus. See, Paul writes to a young Timothy in his role, shepherding over a bunch of churches. He says this, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. It's part of the role of any pastor or teaching ministry that you or I might be involved in. It's to have that conviction of the word. And it's not always to preach to you what you want to hear, but actually what God says is important to us. And that's why we place such a high value on Scripture here at CPE, because actually sometimes it's so easy to get hooked up on our hobby horses, isn't it? Or to get hooked up on particular ways in which we see the world instead of the ways that God sees the world. Okay, I won't spend too much time on that because we do have a whole sermon on that uh, previously on uh, the mature church. We can check out if you've missed that. But let me move on to the last one because the last one is very significant and a big part of the way you think about 
about shepherds protecting the flock. Now, I think that can look like lots of different things, actually. The most obvious one that might, you might think of is guarding against wolves, right? Wolves can be cunning. Wolves can attack the sheep. Wolves join churches under the guise of being a sheep. In fact, if you talk to uh, any of the Christian groups on university campuses right now, they'll tell you straight away that there are multiple, there are cults out there who are literally uh, inviting Christian students to come and join their Bible study groups before stealing them away into these uh, cults with all kinds of weird and distorted uh, beliefs. Now, I've personally witnessed this kind of thing happening in church as well, wolves who come in for the pure reason of chasing women. And there are theological wolves, those who come in with the objective of swaying people towards false theological ideas. But I think the protecting the flock actually goes beyond that as well. I actually think it means guarding against sin and divisiveness within the flock. That is, pastors and leaders have a role to confront and deal with sin. Sin that is left to just be tolerated is compared in the Bible with a little bit of yeast that starts to spread through the whole dough. And so pastors have a role to guard against sin, greed, pride, sexual immorality, gossip. It's protect against hypocrisy and Pharisaic nitpicking as well. Because no one wants to be in a church that's always, always judgmental and, and, and always nitpicking every tiny little thing. In fact, a big part of guarding and protecting the flock is actually promoting a safe relationship, a safe space from which we can actually grow together and deal with sin in kind and loving ways. A place where people genuinely feel known and valued, where we feel like we have a sense of God's love through the way in which we love each other and the love that you see put out by your leaders. Because in the end, the sheep, ultimately, they belong to Jesus, don't they? And they are precious to him. So what do we see? Well, shepherd leaders are to know the flock, lead the flock, feed the flock, protect the flock. Now, let me say something to dads here this morning. You know, dads, uh, happy Father's Day to you. I hope it's it's been a good morning for you so far. I reckon there's some massive challenges here, aren't there? Because actually, dads, you are a shepherd, aren't you? It's not hard to see how all of this stuff applies into the way in which you relate to your children, is it? And to your family. You know, know your flock. What's it like to know your family deeply and then to be able to love them from that? You know, I know here at CP, we've got a lot of families who are kind of just been through that phase of uh, having those young bubs around. And, uh, you know, the truth is that you start to lose a bit of connection, with, uh, particularly with your spouse. See, one of the roles might be for you right now to actually get in connection and, and to reconnect, find that time and space to be able to reconnect well with your spouse. If your bub's old enough, hand them over to someone for an hour so you can go and have a coffee and have a proper chat. What does that look like to know your flock? What does it know to know your children's heart? What are their joys? What are their fears? Get to know their unique personalities. You know, recently, Bonnie and I had this conversation where we were just like, how did we end up with two kids that were just so different? <laughs> you know, so vastly, completely way on different ends of the personality spectrum. And we've been talking about the way that, that just changes the way that we relate and the way that we discipline, the way that we relate to them, the way that we love them. 
you know, we've been playing this game um, uh, at our dinner time. Uh, there's these little cards. It's, it's called talking point cards. I mean, you don't need the actual game game to do this, but uh, they're basically like icebreaker games, right? Icebreaker games that you might play, say, in a small group. Um, and what we've been doing at dinner time, we've been getting these little cards out. We've been asking each other the question. They're like little kind of, you know, those questions that kind of tease out the things that you love doing. Uh, what is it that you love about each other? Uh, what are the things that, you know, how would you uh, describe yourself? Or uh, what are the three favorite things that have happened? Uh, your three favorite family holidays? And there's all these sort of questions that have been brought out, all this interesting stuff about them to get to know your flock. And how are you going leading your family? Are you a passive bystander or are you a bully? Or are you a servant leader? Do you lead by example? You know, recently I've realized that, uh, you know, because life's been busy around at church, I've been kind of up early and, and working in the early hours of the morning, uh, most mornings, and uh, my son, who's usually the next one up, he's, he rocks up, um, uh, you know, it's like 7 o'clock or something in the morning, and he rock up, rocks up, and he starts saying things like, oh, you're working again, Dad. You know, that's an interesting, that's been an interesting challenge for me, kind of think, yeah. What is my example teaching right now? What am I displaying to him? And that's how you're going at feeding your family. How are you going about spiritually nourishing your family? How are you going at protecting your family, making a safe place for your kids and your family to grow and to be themselves? Protecting against the dangers, dangers of the internet, or the dangers of the influences that are out there. See, the shepherding dad is one who knows his flock, he leads his flock, he feeds and protects his flock. Dads, you have an important role, a really important shepherding role. Granddads, you continue to have an important role, an important shepherding role. All right, well, let's move on to this next point, the honour and the temptations of leadership. The honour and the temptations of leadership. Now, I don't need to tell you um, about the high-profile failures of, uh, of the megachurch pastors or, or even just the regular pastors in some way. What strikes me, though, is the way in which all the ways in which pastors have fallen are ways in which Scripture has already warned about. That is, 2,000 years on, we've still fallen into the same traps that have been warned about already in Scripture. See? Bullying leaders, bullying pastors has been a big thing, especially more recently. What did Peter say? What are elders to be? Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Secondly, it's a warning against sexual predators masquerading as leaders. We'll say they're the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over gullible women who are loaded down with sins and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires. Or what about the love of money? Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. These are temptations and leadership that are strong that every leader, anyone in any role of responsibility over others, needs to be aware of. And we need to all be aware that the possibility of falling to the dark side remains in all of us. We are all but a few steps away from becoming the kind of leader that preys on people or takes advantage of others. Now, I'll just take a moment to actually talk a little bit about the systems of accountability that we do have here at CPE. 
This is actually really important. It's one of those sort of boring topics, you know, like if you're new here and you kind of said, hey, I, I want to start serving, you might have uh, had to go through a process where you actually had to chat to someone, one of the pastors or one of our ministry team of uh, Ben or Ping, and actually have a conversation so that we can make sure we get to know you well. You might have had to fill out forms that are about you know, having referees and, and getting blue cards filled out. This is all about accountability. This is all about protecting the flock. In fact, even us here as pastors, we don't stand above the fray. In fact, uh, we have a council and any complaint that, uh, that comes about pastors can actually have a due process. Uh, it's talked a little bit actually here in, uh, in 1 Timothy it says this, do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone, so that the others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. See, this is sort of the serious business of accountability, isn't it? You don't want to entertain every single type of uh, accusation. Leaders, the higher up they get, become a bit of a lightning rod for criticism. But there's an appropriate place to deal with founded accusations, aren't there? In fact, I would hope that if I was caught in some kind of sin, that those systems would actually be loving enough to bring me to account or anyone else in equivalent levels of accountability and leadership. All right, well, let's not end on that note, though, because actually, as much as and big as the burden and the accountability and the things that are needed there for leadership, the Word actually says that there is a great honour for those who take on that responsibility and who take on that burden. Here it is. This uh, This was from 1 Peter. And when the chief shepherd appears, you, elders, will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. 1 Timothy 5, 17, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is teaching and preaching. Now, dear friends, I know that many of you serve week in, week out, teaching our kids, teaching our youth, teaching our young adults. And it's great. You know, I love seeing people taking on that responsibility. It is not a small responsibility even if you're teaching five-year-olds. And I know that this has actually been, um, this has been actually a really good part of our culture here at CPU, to actually have lots of people involved with that. But you know what? I also know that come around, you know, September, October, getting late in the year, you start getting a little tired and weary, don't you? You might even start asking yourself the question, is this really worth it? I mean, I'm weary. Do I really want to keep doing this? Well, friends, the New Testament is very keen for us to know that, yes, for those who continue to persevere, to lead, and to teach others, in whatever context, that is an honourable thing. That is a good thing. That is a worthy, noble task to take upon ourselves. It's very easy for a church, especially a growing church, you know, with lots of kids and, 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 and expanding to kind of go, oh, Look, that ministry, teaching kids or teaching whatever it is, too hard. I'm going to stay away. But actually what the Word encourages us to do is to say, hey, it is hard. It is a burden. But it's also a great honour. And it's something that Jesus himself will honour. 
And see, that's why we do it in the end, isn't it? We want to please our master. That on that last day, the chief shepherd will be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your master's happiness. Well, friends, let's quickly move on to our last point here, the responsibilities of the flock. See, it would be actually quite easy for me to kind of sit down there and to go, yes, this is the role, leaders, pastors. I've kind of been half preaching to myself this morning, haven't I? But actually, the role partly, uh, did you see the reciprocal thing was actually, uh, Peter actually points out that there is a responsibility for the flock as well. See, what did he say? He said, in the same way, this is verse 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now, what does that actually mean? What does that actually mean? Now, sort of that idea of submission is a tricky one, isn't it? And, uh, you know, particularly, I think, the more Western you become, uh, the way that's, that submission work actually uh, changes a little bit. Now, if you're more traditionally uh, Eastern or Asian, uh, you might uh, find that actually your idea of submission and the Western idea of submission actually are quite different. See, in the Western cultural context, submission actually means something more like uh, forced surrender. It means giving someone else power over against our will or accepting something that kind of impedes or restricts my own self-determination. Right? That's sort of the Western vibe of, uh, of submission. I think the biblical idea of submission is always, it was always about accepting the appropriate authority of those tasks, tasks to care and protect. See, in that sense, we actually submit every single day, every single day, in fact, this morning, if you kept to speed limits, if you stopped at the red lights, if you drove on the left-hand side of the road, you were submitting. You were submitting to the road rules as determined by the authorities that control that. If you have submitted your tax return, or are planning to sometime in the next few weeks, you are submitting to the ATO and the government and you're giving them the power, you're accepting their authority to collect taxes. In fact, we actually can't function in any part of society without accepting some form of authority. And Jesus, the chief shepherd, has appointed those under-shepherds to which he commands his people to submit to. Now, I've seen two ways in which this can go wrong as way of illustration. Um, I've seen churches where the pastor has been treated like a heroic superstar who can do no wrong. You know, he is above all critique and accountability, a place on a pedestal with an unquestioned level of authority. That is not biblical. You know, I've seen where that goes wrong as well, where uh, despite all the signs to the opposite, uh, the, a, a, a very uh, well-known and respected pastor has been held in his position. And I've also seen churches where the pastor treated terribly, with no authority, forced to see to the congregation's every whim. See, I've got a mate actually at a church uh, uh, that told me a, a little bit about his experience with, as a young pastor going out. He, felt, he said he felt really shackled by his own eldership, who constantly undermined his decisions. There were also factions within the church. That is, there were uh, people on his own eldership developing his own, their own group of leaders who would always question and, and push against everything that the minister tried to do. And so he resigned, the third pastor to resign within a year of appointment. 
You see, the answer is not to treat your pastor as a celebrity, nor is it to treat your pastor as the slave to do, uh, to do your will, actually to treat him as he is the under-shepherd who serves on behalf of the great shepherd, Jesus Christ. And it's here that I think actually Hebrews has some really helpful stuff. Hebrews says this, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. See, how do you treat your leaders? We acknowledge the heavy burden and the responsibility they carry. Did you know what it's like to carry the eternal prospects of people in your hands? You know, I remember working in the hospital as a junior doctor and that the first time it really struck me the kind of uh, power and responsibility that I actually held. See, I did what uh, lots of junior doctors do, which is often filling out lots of little charts and it gets a little bit boring after a while. And, uh, but I remember filling out a chart wrong one day, which doesn't sound like the worst thing in the world, except that there were particular things and additives into that fluid that potentially, given as I signed it up, could have been fatal. Now, it was fortunately one of those mistakes was so bad that it got picked up straight away, and a friend of mine I picked it up and fixed it up for me. But I remember the weight of that responsibility crushing, crushing me that day, realising the kind of power and potential that was there in my hands. Well, church, pastors and leaders carry that weight too. If people walk away from the faith or learn something wrong or unhelpful because of something we do, it's disastrous, it's burdensome. There is a reason that actually burnout in pastoral ministry is one of the highest of any occupation. And what Hebrews says is, submit and make their work, their work a joy. It's not to submit without any accountability. It's not to submit to things in which a pastor may say or do wrong. But to have confidence in them, to, to actually uh, work with them. We are in partnership together, serving the great shepherd, Jesus, together. Now, uh, Christopher Ash, oh, sorry, I missed the little verse there, but Christopher Ash, uh, one of my favourite authors, wrote this book. Uh, it's got a, quite a funky title. Uh, it's the book your pastor wishes you would read, but is too embarrassed to ask. Right, how's that for a book title for you? Uh, he has a few actually really helpful things to say that, um, I, that I'm, I'm just going to kind of uh, quote out there for you. Uh, I think the first thing he says is just to encourage. And how can you encourage? Well, encourage by looking forward to the roles and the tasks that your pastors and teachers do. This is what he says. He said, few things so encourage a pastor as eager listeners and learners. I'm so looking forward to Sunday sermon, I remember a church member saying to me. And the effect on my prayer and preparation was electric. If they are so eager to hear, the least I can do is to get out of bed in the morning and labour hard at the word so that there is something worth hearing. In fact, unless there is some whisper of joy in pastors' hearts as they do their work, some spring of gladness in their step, they will never persevere to the end. And, and this is the point. It is we who will suffer. Now, second thing it says, it says actually be really open and responsive to, um, to their teaching. It says this, nothing so drains a pastor of vital energy as having to preach to 
having to go on praying for, having to try to lead and care for men and women who are impervious to the good news of God's grace. Hardness of heart is the great pastor killer. And I absolutely back this. You know, as so you talk about the ways in which people have taught you, whether it's your pastor, your Sunday school leader, or your youth leader, give them encouragement by actually talking and showing, being responsive to their teaching. Thirdly, he says, be kind and compassionate to your leaders. There is no doubt in my mind that churches that show kindness will have still better pastors as a result. For it is only natural that their pastors will return to their pastoral leadership with fresh determination to love and care for, to teach and preach to, and to pray for those who have so loved them. We must never underestimate the significance of our simple, practical, loving kindness to our pastors. And you sort of got me thinking, actually, about how well do we know our leaders? So here's a question, and this is actually for parents. How well do you know the people who are teaching and pastoring your children, maybe even right now? Here's an idea. Maybe invite them over. Invite your, those Sunday school teachers who lead your kids. Invite them around for lunch one time. It would be a great opportunity for them to get to know the family that these kids come from and for them to actually get to know those kids in a different context. It would be a great thing. Fourthly, Chris Farish says, follow and serve with gladness. We need, we need to learn gladly so to submit to the gospel authority of our pastors as they lead our churches. And not just to submit negatively, resolving not to cause trouble, but to submit gladly and energetically, engaging our energies with zeal and playing our part in pursuing a gospel vision. Now, friends, I actually wanted to really encourage CPE on this. Okay, you know, at our uh, celebration Sunday, uh, it was a beautiful, beautiful Sunday. Uh, but one of the things that really highlighted for me is just the ways in which people have served alongside their pastors over many, many, many years now. You know, just a repeated story after story after story, people just talking about how uh, Sunday school or CIA or YF played a massive influential roles in, in people's walk over the years. You know what that said to me? That said to me, this is a church that cares. This is a church that wants to work alongside their pastors, who want to take up the mantle of maybe having some of those under-pastor-type roles, who value that and have seen the effect of that over many, many, many years. And church, you know, I've loved being here for the past 18, 20 months or so, and just getting to serve alongside you. It's been one of the great highlights and joys of my ministry career so far. So church, how is God pressing on your heart this morning? What is God saying to you? Is there something about your own leadership, whatever role or responsibility you might have here, leading a team or ministering to a life group or whatever it is? What is it that you need to take on to really be that shepherd? Or maybe it's for you as a member of the flock. What can you do? to be part of the greater whole, this partnership that we're all engaged in and serving Jesus together. Friends, let me just say with encouragement to finish on this point and to remind us that all the work that we do together is looking forward to this, that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Friends, why don't I pray for us together as a church so we can uh, yeah, consider uh, what it means for us to keep uh, living as a shepherded church together. Let's pray. 
Graciously, Heaven Father, Lord, we want to thank you for the Chief Shepherd. Lord, he is the one who laid down his life for us. Lord, he is the Good Shepherd who knows us, who has called us, who protects us, who leads us and guides us. Father, we thank you for those that you have put into positions of leadership here at CPE. Lord, the pastors, the deacons, the life group leaders, those involved in teaching our kids and, and teenagers. Father, those who lead and shepherd teams here at CPE. Father, we want to thank you for the people that you have raised up here to serve alongside each other. Father, we pray that you will continue to raise up more, that we won't shy away from the burden and the responsibility of leadership. Father, we ask that you would be with us, that you would protect us as a flock from the dangers and the temptations of leadership. But Father, most of all, we, we pray that we will turn all of our eyes and our hearts to the chief shepherd that we have. And might we be inspired and, and model our lives on him and remember with thankfulness what he has done in shepherding us into your kingdom. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Matt. It was a sobering reminder for myself of the responsibilities of shepherd.